I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Again, I welcome you to Hal Brady Ministries, and I appreciate your willingness to join with me in turning this studio into a sanctuary. We will be worshiping God in the spirit of holiness. I encourage you now, please, to listen to God's word. It comes from Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people faced war, they would change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They sat out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. 
neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are thy strength and our redeemer. Amen. When the fires burned out of control in Colorado, the people had to leave their homes in a hurry. When Superstorm Sandy hit the northeastern part of the United States, bringing about floods and knocking out power, people had to leave their homes in a hurry. Gas leaks, wars, and other issues also caused people to leave their homes in a hurry. If for some reason you had to leave your home in a hurry, what would you take with you? I asked that question the other day of my wife, and thankfully she said, you made my day, made my day. This is precisely the situation the Israelites are facing in this text. You remember the story. For 400 years, the children of Israel had been under the rule of the Egyptian taskmasters. A number of generations had come and gone, and they had not received the promise. But now, after all these years of hoping and waiting and praying, the moment had finally arrived. God had heard their cries and their groanings and said to Moses, Moses, go down, go down to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The plagues had softened the heart of Pharaoh. They had softened his heart. So in a moment of rage, when Moses came, he said, Moses, get out of here and take your people with you and do it as fast as you can. There was no time to lose. We're told that the Egyptians wanted the Israelites out of their land with haste. Would a fickle Pharaoh change his mind? Now, since they had to leave in a hurry, what were they going to take with them? Moses gave them the idea. Moses said, I want you to take your family, your belongings, your possessions, your animals, and I also want you to take the bones of Joseph. Say, what? Did you say take the bones of Joseph? Why, so many of us have never even heard of Joseph. And yet you told us to take just the barest essentials, and you're telling us to take the bones of Joseph. We don't understand, but Moses said, take the bones of Joseph. Now, I want us to consider why Moses said that. First of all, the bones of Joseph reminded the Israelites of who they were, of who they were. There's a comedian by the name of Billy Crystal. I'm sure you've heard his name. Listen to what he says. You look marvelous, darling. Believe that, and I'll tell you another one. That's what we want to hear. Tell me just how marvelous I look. How's my Dan? Mention how slim I'm becoming, or how my nose job has made all the difference. It meant that I'm dressed for success. Tell me that my chin is tighter and my hair looks thicker. And go ahead and ask me about my diet, my exercise routine, my spar, my brand of weights, my blend of vitamins. Tell me whatever makes me look so good and so marvelous, darling. You look marvelous, you really do. On television, there is a commercial advertising cosmetic surgery. And the lady says, whatever makes you feel better, do it. Whatever makes you feel better, do it. Now, we are a society obsessed with appearance. There is no question about that. We are obsessed with appearance. But what about who are you? Now, that's a profound question. Who are you? None of us who have ever read Death of a Salesman 
and remember the leading character's decline, Willie Loman, will ever forget that book. Some people said Willie Loman did not live in the present. He lived in the past and the future, but he did not live in the present. His son gave the best definition and understanding of him when he said he never knew who he was. He never knew who he was. I repeat, the bones of Joseph reminded the people of Israel of who they were. Well, who were they? By outward appearance, they didn't appear to be too much. They looked like a ragtag group of people who made brick out of straw. That's all they looked like. But that old bag of bones they had kept all those years had a different story to tell. Those bones witnessed to the fact that they were people of the covenant. They were people of the covenant. Stating it differently, they were set apart from all the other people on the earth. Not because they were a greater people, not because they were a stronger people, not because they were more a courageous kind of people. They were set apart simply because they were God's people. God's people. We all began with Abraham. God told Abraham to pull up your stakes and move out to a place that I'll show you and I'll make of you a great nation. Now I want you to listen to these promises of God. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. So Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but he went out with a special promise. God said, I will always be with you. And so we come from Abraham down to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And here is Joseph, the bones of Joseph, reminding the people that God would always be with them, reminding the people of God's presence with them. So who are we? Well, let me tell you something. We are who we think we are. If you think that you're taken advantage of and that you feel sorry for yourself, chances are you will be exploited by others for a long time to come. We are who we are. And then we are who we think others think we are. A Jewish rabbi was telling about one of the strangest days in his life. It was one of the roughest days of his life. He said the teacher in the midst of the fifth grade tore his notebook to shreds and he said he sat there in humiliation and in tears as the paper shredded down on the desk. But he said in spite of all of this and the embarrassment, he picked up what the teacher was trying to say. She was trying to say, you can do better because you are an outstanding student. I'm not going to let you get by with less than your best. You have the ability to make something of yourself, and I'm going to insist that you do better. He said he could hear the teacher saying that then, and he can hear her saying it now. So we, you see, we are what others think we are, and then we are what we do. We are what we do. There's a fellow named Wooden. You remember, he was one of the greatest basketball coaches ever. John Wooden of UCLA had the most amazing ability to prioritize. As a basketball coach, he never scouted other teams. He just brought out the potential of his own team. He worked with them day in and day out. He interacted with them, and here's his record. For 40 years, he only had one losing season, his very first. He led UCLA to 10 NCAA National Basketball Championships. No other school has come close. He's probably the greatest basketball coach who ever lived. We are what we do. But then let me ask you this question. Who are we really? We are the people of the covenant. We are heirs of the promise. 
we are far more than we seem to be. Someone asked the question, why are we here on earth? Someone gave a short answer, God wanted a friend. That's the reason we're here on earth, simply because God wanted a friend. And so let's keep in mind that those old bones told those Israelites who they were, who they were. And then secondly, the bones of Joseph reminded the Israelites of what they were committed to, of what they were committed to. In leaving Egypt, the Israelites had to have some things that were permanent and eternal. So Joseph made a deal with his brothers. He said, one day God is going to come back and he's going to take you people to the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he said, I want you to take my bones with you when you go. In other words, those bones were, were to remind the people of the fact that God was committed to them and that they were committed to God. God was committed to them and they were committed to God. How important that is for our understanding of things. Simply put, there are some things we have been and continue to be committed to as people of God. First of all, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. The saving grace of Jesus Christ. Said John Wesley, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society at Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Now, we Methodists have never said that people need to have the same experience of grace. If we did that, we would be simply denying the divine spirit's work. So it's not the process that's important. It is the saving grace of Christ that's important. The second thing that we will be committed to, and that is very important, is an unbreakable commitment to love. Not long ago, I was in Carrollton, Georgia. I was there visiting a friend who had the terrible the terrible misfortune of losing his eight-year-old son in a traffic accident. After we had had lunch, we were walking up the street, and suddenly a woman came out of a restaurant, and she came over to him. She didn't know him. She was a person of another race, and she simply said to him, I want you to know, Mr. So-and-so, that we're praying for you, that your family is larger. Your family is my family, and we're praying for you. It was Thomas Merton who said, Without love and compassion for others, our own apparent love for Christ is a fiction. I would also say that about forgiveness. If we are not able to forgive others, our own apparent love for Christ is a fiction. And then a corporate sensitivity to human need. That's the third thing we are committed to. A corporate sensitivity to human need. In the movie, A Civil Action, there's a lawyer who spent all of his money in fighting corporate polluters. Now he's in a bankruptcy court, and the judge is amazed that he only has $14 in a portable radio. And this is what she asked him, this question, where are the things by which we measure one's life? If you're a part of the dominant culture, that's an important question. If you are a Christian, that question is of no importance whatsoever. Listen to the way Tony Campolo and Bishop Will Willimon have said this. The Christian is a counterculture person, a misfit who measures life in terms of loving service to others and justice achieved for the poor and the oppressed. 
For the Christian, the only applause that matters comes from the applause of nail-printed hands. And then the fourth thing we carry with us is this desire to penetrate the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, John Wesley said, the world is my parish, and so it was. The world is also our parish. Now, the church's task of evangelism is not its only task, but it is its central task. Jesus said, you shall witness to me. He said, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. He was talking about taking this message everywhere. So what shall we witness to? The kingdom of God is here. The possibility of the transforming of human lives, that's here. Fear and death are taken away. And there are many, many other witnesses that we can witness to. And then a third thing, an inclusive fellowship. An inclusive fellowship, this is the last thing, a fifth thing. Now were these two friends, they had an ongoing argument about whether God was black or white. The black friend said God is black, the white friend said God is white. These two people went fishing one day and they still were arguing. Somehow they were in an accident and the next thing you know they were appearing before St. Peter. And they said, tell us, is God black or white? St. Peter said, God will be with you in a few minutes. So sit down. So these two continued to debate the question whether God was black or white. In a few moments, they heard this big noise behind them, and suddenly the door swung open, and here was God. And God said, Buenos dias, senors. An inclusive fellowship. The church is ecumenical, it's multiracial, it's pluralistic, it's a connectional church, it's an adaptive church. I remember there was a fellow named Jake Ward who was the vice president of Emory University. He spoke to a group of graduates and he was talking to them about the innovations of the university and this is what he said. He said, if you expect Emory to remain as it was when you were a student, you will be disappointed. But if you expect Emory to be a first-class institution of learning today and for the future, you'll be pleased. You see, the church knows how to adapt and innovate. It needs to and it must. So the bones of Joseph reminded the people of what they were committed to, what they were committed to. And then finally, one other thing. The bones of Joseph reminded the Israelites to place their trust in God. It reminded the Israelites to place their trust in God. Notice the last verse of our text. Listen to what it says. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Just as the bones of Joseph reminded the people of the past, so did the pillar of light and fire. Along with the burning bush, this was the divine manifestation of God's presence with them. God would always be with them. In the early days of navigation, the sailors would mention their fears when they drew their maps. For instance, on the unexplored parts of the ocean, they always wrote, here be dragons, here be demons, here be sirens. I wonder if we were looking at your life today, would we see areas unexplored that said, here be demons, here be dragons, here be sirens? Well, if so, I want you to take heart from John Franklin. He was a master mariner in the times of King Henry V. This fellow got out there and he simply said that God was with us in all things. And instead of writing, here be, 
demons, he'll be dragons, he'll be sirens. He simply wrote, here is God. Mark it down, there is no place that we can go without God. We may be transferred, we may be hospitalized, we may be this, that, and the other, but there's no place we can go where God is not. I want you to listen to this poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Those old bones of Joseph, they tell us a lot of things. They tell us who we are, what we are committed to, and where we can place our trust. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this lesson of the bones of Joseph. Help us, O oh God, to be mindful and open to receive the true purpose of these bones in our own lives. And help us truly to know who we are in you and what we are committed to in you and where we can place our trust in you. It's in your name. Amen. Let me thank you again for joining us tonight. And I want you to know that these programs of ministry are on the website. So if you are interested, it's www.howbradyministries.com. I invite you to join us every Thursday night and on the website, and God bless you. A thousand sparkling stars upon a midnight summer sky, the majesty and wonder of the ocean's endless tide And the more I see, the more I can't explain How the one who set the world in place Could even know my name And I'm amazed I'm so amazed How great you are small I am, how awesome is your mighty hand, and I am captured by the wonder of it all, and I will offer all my praise with all my heart for all my days, how great you are, how great you Yet no two are the same. The colors fill the canvas of the seasons as they change. And everywhere I look, I see your hand. Why you would love someone like me, I'll never understand. And I. Oh. Uh -huh.
How great you are, how great.